I invite you to open your Bibles and join me for our scripture reading in 1 John chapter 4. I'll be reading verses 7 through 19. And most of all, I ask for a vigilant hearing of this, but first of all, let's pray together. Father in heaven, we pray that you will, by your Holy Spirit, enable us to receive your word with gladness and gratitude. And may the words of my mouth and our considerations together be pleasing in your sight. We pray this through Jesus, our rock and our redeemer, our hope, and amen. 1 John chapter 4, I'll begin reading in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love and the one who abides in love abides in God and God abides in Him. By this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as He is so also are we in the world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. Thus far the reading of God's word and all of God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. Now, it is obvious from that scripture reading that love was mentioned quite a number of times. And because of this, I am concerned that we have before us a shut-down topic. A shut-down topic. Love, loved, loves, beloved, and love. A package of 23 times alone in those verses that we just read. Is this a shutdown topic for us? Are we thinking if we hear about love one more time, we're going to head for the checkout stand? Land of Goshen. Not again. And then we quote the animals from 1965. We got to get out of this place. I'm tired of hearing it. If we had ear lids, would we close them? Is this a shutdown topic? Has the frequency of this topic of love become something like a dog whistle that we cannot hear? Or has the frequency of this topic become background noise which we no longer hear? Speak to someone who lives in Manhattan. The cacophony of blaring horns is their 
orchestral background noise, which they no longer hear, but you visit, you're going, what? Or go to Chicago. Do people no longer hear the shake and the rattle and the roll of the L train rumbling by? Have we grown accustomed to the sound, to the word, to the idea, and we just don't hear it anymore? Is this a shutdown topic? Now, of course, there are all kinds of emphatic triple repetitions out there. Somebody might say, love, 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 blah, blah, blah. Or as my good friend in Louisiana refers to, there's the ultimate dismissive comment of the triple repetition of, yeah, 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 yeah. I've heard that. I don't need to hear it again. Or perhaps we conclude, I, I already know about this. You can't tell me anything new. As if that is the primary goal of preaching. Sure, much is known. But if you're anything like me, what is known often results in the failures of what I do and don't do. And much of my knowledge is flawed as well. As if knowledge, knowing this is the key, the, the demons know a lot. So what I'd like to do today is two, two things. First of all, I would like to offer a summary of these verses we just read. A summary for you. And then I'd like us to see this in action by looking at the Gospels. That's it. Two things. So here we go with the summary. Hopefully we won't have any hand-waving dismissiveness going, I know about that. The passage we just read. First point. God's love comes first. God's love precedes us. The middle of verse 7. For love is from God. Verse 10. In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us. God's love precedes us. So, it is our first love. Once God's first love comes to us, then things start to happen. Verse 7 says that when this love is present, it shows who is born of God. And who knows God? Who is born of God? Who knows God? End of verse 7. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. There it is. This is the preceding love of God, so John summarizes it this way. We love because he first loved us. Obvious. Next, God's love is active. God's love takes the initiative. And this action is not afraid to deal with sin or with sinners. Look at verse 10. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. We have a sin covering in God's beloved Son. Take a look also at verse 14. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. God's love enters the pit amidst the slop of sin, uh, uh, our sin. God's love is active. Third, God's love is not just for us. It is to go forth 
from us. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Rather blunt. The presence of first love, the presence of a preceding love, is shown in an outflowing of love. What was given to us needs to be given from us. There. If this is not present, we could conclude, because John concludes, that person has no relationship with the Lord. Look at verse 8. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. But if it is present, it shows that we have a relationship with God and with God's people, one another. Take a look at verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another. Look at verse 11. Beloved, if God loved us, we also ought to love one another. There it is. Last thing I'm going to say on this is, likely, Lord willing, pick up a little bit of this next week. When this is present, this is one way that Christ is made known. It's one way that the invisible God is made visible. John is clear to say, no one has seen God at any time in verse 12. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. So there, there's the summary of the passage that we have heard, and sometimes we may have a sad tendency to go, love, love, love. No, let's be precise with this. What's next? This first love is to flow out from us. What does that look like? Well, I was reading Peter Lightheart's commentary on this passage, and Dr. Lightheart made the suggestion to, you want to see this? Go look at the gospel. I thought, ah, what a great idea. What a wonderful idea. So we're going to do that, and if you'll join me, turn in your Bibles back to the left to Luke's gospel. I'd like you to see this in action. Luke chapter 7. Let's turn there. Luke chapter 7. I'd like to read four verses. I'll begin in verse 36. Luke 7, verse 36. Now one of the Pharisees was requesting Jesus to dine with him, and he entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And there was a woman in the city who was a, a sinner. And when she learned that he was reclining at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster vial of perfume. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and kept wiping them with the hair of her head and kissing his feet and anointing them with the perfume. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Hmm. Initial characters, two, a man and a woman. The man was a man with a clean home, and he was respected. The woman entered this clean home, but she was unclean, soiled, stained, not well respected. 
The man with the clean home had a respectable reputation, acceptable in public. The woman who entered his home had a reputation, expected to hide her face in public. The man with the clean home was known by others. The woman who entered his home was also known by others, known in the city. The man with the clean home had sponsored a dinner and Jesus was on the guest list. The woman who was known by others in the city was not on the guest list. So while the meal is occurring in the clean home of this clean man, the door opens and horror of horrors, this unclean and disreputable woman enters the clean house and she is bringing stuff with her. She has baggage. She's tracking stuff into the house. What does she bring? She brings her reputation, her sinful self, into this moment. She brings her uncleanness into this clean house. She brings her unworthiness into the presence of the worthy ones, and she brings a little vessel of perfume. The unclean and unwelcome woman stands behind Jesus. She is unworthy. There's no place at the table for her. Humbled, she is reduced down low. She is down low. Her tears are dripping down her face to the feet and the floor. She, at some point, lets her hair down from her head. And she was down at his feet, wiping them with her hair, moistening them with her tears, kissing his feet and anointing the feet with the perfume. The questionable woman is down, and there's more down. Verse 39. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner. Now the man of the clean house and the upright reputation now starts to look down upon Jesus. Perhaps he is not who or what I thought he was. To have entered the house of the clean man, one would have smelled the food for the meal. During the meal, another smell would have filled the house of the clean man. It was the aroma of the perfume applied to Jesus' feet. And now another odor arises in the house of the clean man. This is the odor from the clean man himself. 
It is the scent of suspicion. Suspicious of filth and a great offense. Who could ever love that? The unclean woman is not only present, she is making a scene. She is crying and touching someone else. She's touching a man. Don't you know what this means when a sinner woman like that touches you? We know. How come you don't know? You obviously do not know. So, as if. As if this man is a prophet. But Jesus allows this questionable woman to be near him. Others may be backing away. The thoughts of the host were not visible, but the guests were visible. What this woman was doing was visible, but the thoughts and even the words of the host were not visible or spoken out loud. But Jesus knew what was going on. Verse 39, this man said to himself, Jesus knows it. And then in verse 40, as we go on in the passage, we find the name of the dinner host. We learn that the man with the clean house who hosted the dinner, his name is Simon. Verse 40, Simon, I have something to say to you. And Simon, of course, says, go ahead, ask it. Ask it, teacher. Go ahead. Lay it out there. Jesus will now tell a parable and then ask a question. Simon the Pharisee will answer and Jesus will comment. Look at verse 41. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, you have judged correctly. Our Lord then applies this parable to the, the meal scene, the scene right there at the meal. Look at verse 44. Turning toward the woman... He said to Simon, do you see this woman? Obviously he did. I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. Verse 47, for this reason I say to you, Simon, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little, loves little. Ah, and then, as if all of this was not offensive enough, Jesus speaks to the woman and forgives her of her sins. Look at verse 48. Then he said to her, your sins have been forgiven. Done. The dinner guests might have jumped into the swimming pool of offenses and grolicses 
And there, what is going on? Verse 49. Those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, Who is this man who even forgives sins? And then to add a greater offense to it all, to wrap it all up, Jesus speaks to the woman again. Note, no one else, as far as we know, spoke to her. They might have spoken about her. They certainly had thoughts about her. But Jesus speaks to her again, and he commissions her. And he said to the woman, verse 50, your face has saved you. Go in peace. The love of the Lord was the first love, and the preceding love of God was shown in an outflowing and responsive love. She loved because he first loved her. So let's go ahead and conclude this. Where are we in all of this? Have we seen ourselves somewhere in this passage? With whom do we identify in this passage? The woman, Simon the Pharisee, or the dinner guests? Hmm? Do we see ourselves as a fellow traveler with this woman? Being unworthy, stained, and a target of suspicion, especially if others knew everything about me. The woman left having Jesus' sure words of pardon and peace ringing in her ears. Is it possible that as she went down the streets of the city, she heard Snide remarks and suspicious comments, mumbling. <sighs> or did she go forth in the peace that Jesus gave her? Was she fearful that the sharp and hanging blade of her past is sharper and stronger than Christ's words of forgiveness? Or do we find ourselves more like Simon, the host, being someone who surveys the scene, quick to draw conclusions about those who are soiled or filthy or unacceptable, and then deciding who is acceptable in polite, doily company? Are we quick to be like the dinner host in our conclusions? They will always be like that. Change is not possible. Or perhaps we are more comfortable joining the table sitters, dinner guests, spending our time questioning how others could ever be forgiven. Suspicious of the Savior's ways with those who are soiled. Who is this who even forgives sins like those? 
as those who belong to Christ, we are all like the woman. She was not forgiven because she was so lovely. She was forgiven because she was loved. She loved because God first loved her. She had nothing to offer and was received. And in the view of others, she was nothing. Martin Luther said it well. It is God's nature to make something out of nothing. Therefore, God accepts only the forsaken, cures only the sick, gives sight only to the blind, restores life only to the dead, sanctifies only sinners, gives wisdom only to the unwise. In short, He has mercy only on those who are wretched and gives grace only to those who are not in grace. First love, in the name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.